Hi, everyone. Uh, good to see you guys. Um, if you're new, again, it's kind of hard to, tell, hard to tell these days because of the masks. Uh, but thank you for your cooperation in wearing your masks. Uh, hard to tell whether you're new or familiar faces. But if you're new, uh, welcome to Covenant Life Church. I'm so glad you, you, get, you can join us today for our service. My name is Aiden, a pastor in CLC. I uh, hope you can uh, find your community here if that's um, Lord's will. Uh, today, we're going to continue on with the book of Acts. Uh, we will study uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 41. Uh, it's a long passage, so I won't be reading it before the sermon. I will be walking us through the whole passage uh, as we go along. Uh, but before we go in, uh, just a quick question. Uh, it could be a kind of geeky question, but how many of you are into documentaries? By show of hands. Okay. Okay, my fellow geeks, good to be with you. Um, so I love documentaries. I love the YouTube channels these days that kind of explain about certain events, important events, either in history or in you know contemporary world, and kind of help us, you know, think about like those events, and or rather help us know how to think about those events and you know process different things. And I say that because uh, today's passage is kind of like that. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying this is a documentary, uh, but this is more of a, a commentary on uh, the event that we studied last week, namely the Pentecost, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Apostle Peter will be uh, standing up and giving a speech to uh, explain how to think about the Pentecost. So the, the title for this sermon is called the commentary on the Pentecost. And the three points to help you follow. Uh, first, explanation of the Spirit's coming. And second, the explanation of uh, Jesus' Lordship. And then thirdly, the explanation of um, how to respond. The three points. First, explanation of the Spirit's coming. Verses 14 and 15, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven apostles, uh, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day, which is 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So again, last week, just a quick recap. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came like a violent wind and fires, and he enabled the 120 disciples to speak in foreign languages, speak in tongues, that turned out to be the native languages of uh, the audience in the crowd, so they could understand what they were saying, but they were very bewildered because they are 
not their own people, they could, but they could speak their language. So they're uh, freaking out. And some of them in the crowd uh, were just genuinely in awe and they're inquiring how this was possible. While there are some others who are dismissing the event, saying that the disciples had too much wine. So here at the outset of today's passage, Peter is uh, saying that alcohol was not the cause of this fantastic event. And he'll proceed to explain for us uh, what the real cause was. So let's follow along. Verse 16 through verse 18, or verse 17 through 18, rather. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And young men, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, uh, this prophet, an Old Testament prophet named Joel, uh, predicted that there would be a day called the last days, I'll explain in a moment, when God would pour out His Spirit on His people. And just to kind of give you an a imagery here, by using the words pour out, uh, the, the image there is the torrent of rain on a parched land of Middle East. So God is seen here as just pouring down His Spirit generously on uh, people like, you know, rain again. And as a result, people are prophesying, and it can mean several things. It could just mean just plain uh, delivering of God's message, like the Old Testament prophets. Uh, or it could also mean, you know, speaking different tongues, like we saw last week. Or it could also mean, you know, predicting the future. But anyways, the one thing that you, you probably noticed from this passage that stands out is the diversity of the people who receive the Holy Spirit. We are told that both men and women, young and old, and even slaves, and then later in the speech we'll find out that even Gentiles, non-Jews, will receive the Holy Spirit and prophesy. And that's shocking because in the Old Testament times, God's Spirit was reserved only for certain few people, such as kings and prophets. So Joel is saying that uh, there will come a time, a day, when you know, God will generously give the Holy Spirit on a variety of people, and, and they will prophesy, they will deliver God's message in su supernatural ways. So Peter, then, by quoting Joel, is saying that that day is now. Meaning, on the day of Pentecost, you know, God indeed poured out generously His Spirit on these 120 people, and they prophesied, and they, they, they witnessed you know, God's message in different tongues, so literal prophesying there. And then, we see, we, we've been seeing that the disciples uh, were indeed a diverse group. You know, Luke highlighted in chapter 1 that there were women and people from, you know, different backgrounds. 
In other words, the new age that has come, uh, in this new age, anyone, regardless of their sex, age, uh, social status, ethnicity, race, anyone can serve God and be his witnesses. That's what the new age is all about. And in fact, you and I are in this age right now. I'll explain a little more in a moment. But there's one more thing I want to notice, uh, I want to note about this age that comes in verses 19 and 20. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Uh, all the words, the, the signs and the, the imageries, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke, the sun turning into darkness and the moon turning into blood, those are pointing to one thing, which is God's judgment. You know, earlier, Joel called this new age last days. We saw that. What that means is this age that you and I are in, and the, the age that started at Pentecost, is the last stage in God's salvation history that will usher us into the last day of the age, the, the day of the Lord, when God will judge everyone according to what they have done. And sinners with no salvation will have to ex experience the terrible judgment. But there is hope. Joel ends in a hopeful note in verse 21. He says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll see later that the, the word Lord refers to Jesus. So meaning, the, again, the same um, concept of anyone regardless of their background. So anyone and everyone, whoever seeks the name of Jesus, meaning who he is in faith, and whoever trusts in his work of salvation for sinners will be saved from the impending judgment. So please get this. That's the new age. It's characterized by whoever, again, regardless of your credentials, can receive salvation just by faith, and they can be used by God, by receiving the Holy Spirit. Anybody has the possibility and hope. The new age. Um, Steve Rogers, kind of hard to see there, but Steve Rogers is, uh, well, AKA Captain America. You know, you know he had a uh, humble beginning, right? If you saw the first movie, uh, first Captain America movie. You know, Rogers was a scrawny guy you know, who was not fit for the army uh, and definitely not for the World War II at the time. You know, all he had was you know, being a very sincere guy. He just had this passion and desire to serve his country. And then this guy named Abram Erskine, Dr. Abram Erskine, overheard this talk where he's kind of like passionately expressing his desire to serve his country. 
this doctor approaches him and he decides to use him for his experiment and um, and he gives him the super soldier serum and, and Rogers you know gets injected with the serum and he goes into this you know capsule and bam out comes this 12-pack muscular man and then he saves the world that's how the story goes right and that's similar to uh, what's happening to our passage and in fact the history of Christianity even now the disciples were just ordinary men and women you know or perhaps you could call them less than ordinary because we saw last week that people were mocking them for being Galileans which means basically they're uneducated uh, you know they were not impressive uh, but when they just have simple desire to accomplish the mission of Jesus and they simply wait in prayer and then the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit gets injected into these disciples so to speak and out came these mighty soldiers that saved the world in a spiritual sense maybe a bigger sense than Steve Rogers or Captain America, because their message is about saving people from impending judgment. Meaning anybody can enlist in this squad, so to speak. All they need is the desire to do God's will and be used by God. So the question I want to ask before we go on, as we pause here, is what could be some excuses for you uh, to perhaps shy away from living boldly for God's kingdom. You know, we might think that we are not talented enough. And some of us might think that our callings are too tough, which can be very true. We all have different difficult callings. Or we might think that we are too young or too old for living for God in certain ways. But again, the passage is saying is that Holy Spirit is the one that will accomplish the, the will of God in your life. All you need is the desire to serve God. So explanation of Spirit's coming. Peter is saying that's what happened at Pentecost. He gives us incredible power to do God's will. Second, explanation of Jesus' Lordship. So now Peter will expound upon the last verse that we read, verse 21, you know, who is this Lord? You know, who Jesus is? Who is he? Whose name that we are to call upon for salvation? And Peter will give us three things about this. Uh, Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation. First, his death, verse 23. He says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter is not mincing words here. He's very direct. He's saying that you guys, meaning the mainly Jewish audience, cooperated with lawless men, which means Gentiles and Romans, Roman soldiers especially. You guys killed Jesus on the cross. But then he also adds that Although these guys are responsible for the evil deed, God 
was sovereign over it. That he was not surprised by this. In fact, in his sovereign plan, he used this evil deed to bring good out of it. Meaning that he used the death of Jesus to atone for the sins of the world, to save the world. God's sovereignty over evil. That, that's the death of Jesus. It was uh, in God's plan. And Peter goes on. Please follow with me. Resurrection. Verse 27. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. And jump to uh, verse, verses 29 through 32. It says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch, David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that uh, we all are witnesses. So Peter first quotes from Psalm 16, and, and he says that the psalmist David um, you know, could be talking about himself when he talks about you know, his body not decaying or going into corruption. Uh, it's not David for sure in Peter's mind and our mind too, because everyone knows that David is dead at this point, and his tomb proves it. So what's happening here, like Paul Peter explains, is that you know David was prophesying about somebody else, and that somebody is the Messiah because uh, back in Second Samuel seven, God promised David that one from his descendants would be an eternal king of eternal kingdom, the Messiah. So in the in the psalm. He's talking about that. He's talking about this Messiah, Jesus. And Peter's going on uh, and, and saying that God indeed raised Jesus from the dead, fulfilling this prophecy according to his promise and his plan. Again, the same theme so far is God's plan is what's making all this happen. It's not happenstance. It was God's plan. Resurrection according to God's plan. And lastly, uh, exaltation, verses 33 through 35. It says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise, the Holy, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this Holy Spirit that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Another prophecy about Jesus by David. And this time he calls him Lord. And by that, David is affirming the deity of Jesus, that he's equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and they're one God, the doctrine of Trinity there. It's mystery, but that is what God is like. And the God the Father willed that Jesus, after all his suffering for humanity on the cross and on earth, that he willed that 
Jesus sit at his right hand, which is a position of power and cosmic authority and rule. And God the Father that way was vindicating Jesus from all his shame on the cross. And so that's a prophecy, but as we know in, from Acts 1, uh, Jesus indeed ascended to heaven. And he indeed sat in that position of authority. And now from that position, the significance is that he's now qualified to grant salvation to all people. And now he's qualified to distribute the Holy Spirit to his people. That's the significance of Pentecost. By the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit from heaven, what that means is Jesus has indeed ascended to heaven and he is the king of the universe, having the authority of the universe. And again, this was according to God's plan. So all Peter is saying is, uh, in, this, in this section is that God's plan always proceeds. There's no failure. And according to that plan, Jesus is now enthroned in heaven and sitting on his throne, ruling the whole universe so that he's even further uh, moving the plan of God forward. And in turn, people of God can trust Jesus and they can be secure uh, in their journey because he's on his throne. There's no failure in their story. Um, go to the next slide. Um, I've done indoor rock climbing, I think twice in my whole life. Just by show of hands, how many of you have done it? Okay, and then among those of you who raise their hands, how many of you are like really into it? Like you go there, you go there maybe like at least once a month. Okay, <laughs> just occasional hobby. Okay, because I I know some of us maybe some of them um, I think moved to out of town, but I think they would go there like every week. I think some of them were in my small group uh, in the past, so I don't know. I assume that that was the majority for some reason, but anyways. Uh, so I've done it twice in my whole life, and I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I should probably do it, do it more often than I do now. But I think for me, the reason why I enjoy it, the, it that much, and I think that's a, it's a good leisure activity, is because I have the rope tied around my, my waist or wherever, you know, uh, attached to my body so that I cannot, I don't have to be falling and you know, severely injured. Because if I don't have that rope, I'll be just overly careful, right? Because I don't want to fall. And just look at that picture. Without the rope, I, I would probably not even able to go up like, like two meters from the gr ground because it just looks scary, you know? And I think it's like that with the, our lives too. If we don't have Security, I mean, just truthfully, insecurities can really hold us back, right? I know about myself, my insecurities, and because of our insecurities, whatever they are, they make us kind of draw back and retract 
and not be able to really risk things and be bold about our lives many times because we don't want to lose face or fail fail in our in our lives or you know lose our reputation or whatnot. But if you have the solid security, you can leap a little further. You can risk things because you know you won't fall so severely. There's a protection, and you can get back on track and go up higher. And that security for Christians is Jesus being on his throne. He is on his throne. Nothing can depose him. And therefore, if you have that as an anchor in your life, you can live a bold life, risk-free, not risk-free, risky life in a, in a wise sense. You can go further than what you normally would. And that's the reality for the people of God. If you trust in his enthronement, he is the king of the universe. What shall we fear? The explanation of Jesus' kingship and lordship. And lastly, the explanation of how to respond. Verse 37, Peter says, or rather Luke says, Now when they heard this, they are cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The word, the word of God that Peter uh, proclaimed about Jesus cut right into the heart of the audience. Uh, it, it just broke their hearts. And the result here, what we see here is that, that the audience, the people, owned up to their sins. Meaning that they didn't blame anybody else. They didn't blame the Roman soldiers. They didn't blame their mood or circumstances. They said, we are doomed. We killed the Lord of glory. It is my fault. It's our fault. What shall we do? They're asking them in desperation. And Peter gives a response afterwards. But before that, we need to notice things here, which is the first step to salvation, the first step to spiritual growth is that we own up to our sins. Meaning, no more blame games anymore. No more shifting blames to circumstances or other people. Uh, even our upbringings, as important as it is for us to process them and get healed from them, because those are real. But at, one, at some point, there has to be identifying of our faults and our sins and have to move on from there. And that's how the true healing happens. The true salvation happens that way. But lest we stay there and wallow in our shame and guilt, Peter moves us forward in uh, verse 38. He says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We repent by turning away from our sinful orientation, but that's not the whole story. I think the word repentance gets a lot of bad rep. 
but half of it is, of course, we feel the remorse. But the other half is freedom. In faith, you run to Christ and receive his salvation and forgiveness and feel the freedom that he offers. And the baptism is basically the our expression of that inward faith of running to Christ. And the promise is that when we do that, we will indeed receive that freedom in Christ and also receive the Holy Spirit that the disciples receive and the, who have all the, any disciples of Christ even now can receive this Holy Spirit. That is the gift in order for us to do God's will and save the world. And 39, uh, it says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who, who, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Here Paul is reiterating for us to remember again, because I think it's important, just as we saw earlier in Joel's prophecy, that anyone and everyone can be saved. Anyone and everyone can receive the Holy Spirit. Same thing. You know, you and your children, those who are far off, he's referring to the Gentiles, but any sinful people, any backgrounds, they just call on Jesus and they can be saved. And lastly, verse 40. And with his many words, many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Uh, the phrase crooked generation, really quick, refers to the Israelites who rebelled in the, the wilderness after they got out of Egypt. And they experienced severe judgment from God because they were stubborn about not repenting. And again, reiteration from the Joel's, Joel passage that Peter is lovingly warning the audience and us that the time is ticking. There is judgment. And that's a good thing. If there's no judgment in the world, then all the criminals and abusers and all these, things, all these people who need justice will just go free. That's not right. So judgment is a good thing. But salvation is even better when there's true repentance. And Peter is saying, the judgment is coming. If you're not in Christ, again, time is running out. Please hurry up. Please be urgent. And that's the end of his message. And before I, before I, before I lose any momentum here of his message, I do want to press on here. That if any of you in this room who are not a follower of Christ, please heed this message. Please heed what Peter is saying because it's true. Time is running out and there is judgment day coming. But salvation is as real. Please turn to Christ and run to him in faith and you will find freedom and receive the Holy Spirit to do amazing work for God. There will be purpose in your life to do something worthwhile, living for God. How awesome is that? So please turn to Christ. I urge you with my whole heart, if you are not a believer. And I think this passage also uh, I think speaks to our church in terms of how we pursue our mission. I think we've been talking about that as we 
started studying the book of Acts. You know, why, why do we exist as a church? We have a mission as a church of Christ, which is reaching out to the world, be witnesses. And I think this passage is really showing us that the word of God has the power to accomplish that. Of course, you know, again, as we go into the welcome week coming up and as we you know, reach out to the other demographics uh, you know, in other ways in the future as a church, we definitely do things with our hands, you know, try to make our you know, newcomers and people feel welcomed. That's for sure. But ultimately, what changes people's hearts is the word of God. And it is God that changes hard hearts, make it into heart of flesh. And we don't want to lose that as a church. And Luke ends the passage here with his words. I didn't have it on, on, on the screen there, but let me just read it for us. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again, not about the numbers, but that's the power of God's word. Just because Peter spoke and the Holy Spirit used it, there is revival. There is people coming, running to the cross and the gospel. The power of the word of God. Uh, let me just end with uh, this personal uh, story. I um, wanted to share this as I studied this last section. Um, for the next slide, uh, this passage from Psalm 52.8 is a passage that I uh, you know, meditated upon uh, this one day, I think uh, a few weeks ago, during my quiet time. It says, But I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Um, so just being just really honest here. I think, like, I want to take any chance to show you that I'm just so not perfect. I'm just so broken like any of us. And I think for me in this season of my life, as you can imagine, it's, it's a very busy season. Um, a lot of things happening, you know, not just at church, but uh, with my family, with having, you know, a toddler. And I also have some friends that I really want to keep uh, accountable um, out of town too. So I just have a lot of things going on in my life right now. And I think maybe um, one thing that kind of made me feel even more burdened is uh, perhaps because uh, Seth, you know, he is getting really active and, you know, and then Deb and I are both busy. So recently we decided to increase this daycare, day, daycare days uh, from three days a week to five days a week. So every day, every weekday, he will be at daycare from like eight to five. And I think as a parent, it's a very heartbreaking because you can tell that your child really wants to spend more time with you. He always goes like, Appa, Appa. Um, and he always comes like to my room whenever you know, I'm like talking with people on, on Zoom and stuff. Uh, just kind of thinking about, you know, sending your kid to, you know, daycare even more. I think it was a really difficult decision for me and dad, but we had to do it because, you know, juggling 
different things at the same time has been just really tough. So I think overall, like, like truthfully, I have been feeling just so um, stressed out and a little restless and a bit over overwhelmed. I think that's been kind of like my, um, like where I have been, what I've been feeling uh, this summer so far. And I think in the midst of all of that, that's when this first came. Um, and, and I meditated on that. It's kind of like a random passage too. Like the, the whole psalm is not really about like this verse, but just stood out, jumped out at me. And as I meditated on that, I just started getting this unexplainable, complete sense of peace in my heart and joy. Because it's saying that, or even asking me, Aiden, do you trust in God's unfailing love that is eternal forever and ever? And as I asked, asked, asked that question to myself, I was like, I, I don't trust that. Meaning, I've been just chasing after all the other loves and things that could uh, fill my void in a sense, right? Like, I'm just so tired because I think these things that I have to do are going to make me feel loved and fulfilled. When in fact, it is God's love for me that is unconditional, that is off the chart, that is going to stay with me forever, no matter whether I have good days or bad days. And from there on, the verse says, before that, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. And the, the verses that come before this verse is like basically chaos. You know, the psalmist is like really struggling and he's like hurt by, you know, friends and on and on. But he's saying, I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the midst of all of that. And I realized that is what God's love for me can do if I really believe, if I really trust that. And I still remember uh, days following this, this day, I kept like drawing in my head like the olive tree, <laughs> like flourishing, flourishing in my head. So try to like remind myself that I already have everything I need. I don't need, you know, say like ministry. I don't need, you know, all these things that I have to do or, or I feel like I have to do to be a good pastor, be a good Christian, etc. And I share that because I love you and I want you to be blessed too by God's word. And, and this is a hard task, right? I mean, I share this as if, you know, this is like everyday thing. No, no, it's like once in a while, all right? But I think my encouragement to you is that don't give up. The word of God can do marvelous things. And he will speak to you in a very crazy ways that can jumpstart you. The word of God is powerful and it's the only thing that can change people's hearts, my heart hearts, yours and the hearts of the world. So let's hang on and let's remember that Jesus is on his throne and the Holy Spirit is with us forever, guiding us and making us mighty soldiers. Let's pray together. Can we just spend some time just between you and God? 
It's the word of God that we just heard. Maybe there's one or two things that stood out to you. And that's truthfully how I do my quiet time, you know. Um, It doesn't have to be complete understanding, but God always speaks to us in a very unique way. And I just want to encourage us to not lose that chance and moment where God is just tugging at your heart and speaking to you to encourage you and challenge you in a loving way and growing you. That's what a loving father does. Could we do that? Um, I'll just stop talking so you can focus more on God. Um, Let's do that before we uh, end with the song together. Let's pray. Pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that You make yourself so near to us. Uh, All the way from the coming of Jesus, how he's the God of Emmanuel. Uh, And even now, as we saw the story of uh, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, as if you really didn't want to leave us alone. You're always with us. Thank you, Lord. And we know that that presence can be felt by your grace, but many times it is not felt because of just the different struggles in our lives and different pain that we go through. So we pray that you would help us, that the same Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples in mighty ways, in in unexplainable ways, May the same Spirit empower us to be able to uh, keep our heads held up high and be confident in your promises. And the fact that Jesus is on his throne, not moved by all the turmoils in the world, that he is strong, that he is trustworthy, he knows what he's doing even when things don't make sense. So Lord, help us. Help us, God. Thank you, Lord.